0: This morning, our reading from God's Word comes from Matthew chapter 13. Uh, so if you have a Bible, uh, take a moment and turn there to Matthew chapter 13 and verses 31 through 33. It's on page 819 of your Pew Bible. Let's give our attention now to God's holy and inerrant Word Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 31. This is God's Word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for all that we have heard so far this morning as we have sung Your praises and confessed our sins and been assured of our pardon in Jesus. We thank You for the good news of Your work in our lives um, and for Jennifer's testimony. We thank You for that Father, we thank You that we, Your people, uh, can respond to You in our giving of tithes, gifts, and offerings, and we pray that You would take these gifts and that You would use them for Your glory in order that Your kingdom would be revealed here throughout the world in order that the good news of the gospel would be proclaimed to all the nations. And Father, we pray that You would continue to be merciful to us now even as we prepare to sit beneath Your Word, that You would remind us that, we, have, we are all facing different things in life, uh, but the truth is we're all the same because it is true that we are far more broken, uh, far more sinful and twisted and corrupted than we could ever imagine, um, but we need to be reminded together of the good news of the gospel, that we are loved in Jesus, that because of Him, even though we are far more broken than we could ever imagine, we are also at the same time far more loved, far more adored and far more secure than we could have ever dreamed possible. So we pray that you would help us, even as we sit beneath your word, to hear again the good news of the gospel. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> this morning, uh, we have the privilege uh, to hear from um, a friend of mine named Paul Hahn, and I'm going to invite him up in just a moment. I'll give you just a brief bio uh, on him. Uh grew up in Florida, uh, went to Yale to play baseball. Um, from there, I think I'm getting this timeline right, involved in Athletes in Action after that, and then got involved with our denomination's Campus Ministry Reformed University Fellowship, and um, was at Auburn during that time and then went and planted a church in Austin, Texas, and then went to Knoxville um, and planted another church. Um, and he is now uh, the pastor of church planting and church renewal in Tennessee Valley Presbytery. And um, uh, last year sometime uh, in the fall our elders uh, decided to invite Paul to come and spend the weekend with us, even as we continue as a church, to think about our strategy going forward. And so he came in last night, and he spent last night with us talking, and and we'll spend some more time with him this afternoon. Um, But a part of the deal was that he would come and bring God's Word to us. So I'm going to go ahead and invite Paul up now. Thank you for being here, Paul. Thanks for
1: having me, Nathan. (laughs) Thank Thank you. Thanks. Great being with you all. I always like to tell a little bit about myself, my family, before I get going. Uh, my father passed away a couple of years ago. He was a uh, beautiful Christian man. He was an attorney. Those two things can go together. And uh, he, uh, he was, uh, uh, just loved to tell jokes on preachers because everybody told lawyer jokes. So his favorite preacher jokes is when the preacher takes off his watch and sets it right down there on the edge of the pulpit. And the little boy asks his father down in the pew, Daddy, what does it mean when the pastor takes his watch off like that and sticks it right there on the edge of the pulpit? And the dad shakes his head and said, Son, absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not going to hurt you today with time. Not going to hurt you. I want to start off by telling a story. Uh, um, take yourself back about 100 years. New Year's Day, 1900. Uh, We're in London, um, and the hot ticket for New Year's Day 1900, believe it or not, was to go hear Lord Kelvin speak at the British Academy of Sciences. And Kelvin was the most well-known scientist in the English-speaking world. He was a physicist, and Kelvin stands up on New Year's Day 1900 and says to the crowd, uh, ladies and gentlemen, esteemed members of the Royal Academy, There is nothing new for us to learn in the realm of physics. Nothing new to discover. All there is is more and more precise measurements to be made, fitting that he should have an obscure measurement system for temperature named after him. Uh, But what happens right five years later is this funny-looking guy, you know, with the giant hair, um, he can't get into any graduate school anywhere in Europe. He tries to get in all over Europe. He's so bad at math. He can't get in, okay, which is really true, but he gets a job at the patent office in Bern, Switzerland, and he watches trains pass by all day, and those trains make him think about all kinds of things in physics, and so between writing his patents, he had stuffed into his wooden desk these papers that he would write, and he wrote five papers in his spare time at the patent office in Bern, Switzerland in 1905, just five years later. The first paper was about the motion of atomic particles. Uh, The second paper was proving the existence of subatomic particles. The third one was that light is both particle and wave. The fourth is that funny little formula, E equals MC squared. And the fifth says that space and time actually interact with each other, push on each other, bend each other. And that funny little guy, right, is Albert Einstein, who tells us, by his journey, that there was still a universe of things to discover in the realm of physics. I think when it comes to the gospel, we are often a lot more like Kelvin than like Einstein, especially if we've been in the church a while. Ah, uh, not that much left new to discover. Just we need to make more and more precise and better measurements about how we're doing with jesus but really there's a universe left to discover to catch you know when i was driving from knoxville over yesterday the first part of the drive knoxville to nashville is pretty nice the second part is not not so nice that nashville to memphis section i saw a a sign on the way that i'd never seen before making that drive and it said scenic hatchie river I don't know if you've ever seen that or noticed that, but I I said, okay, I'm going to look. I'm really going to look, slow down a little bit. It was just this mud pond over to the side. It was hideous. You know, there was just nothing there at all. I think a lot of us are that way with the gospel. It's just the scenic Hatchie River. Preachers and other people put big labels on it. But what's really there that's new and fresh for me? So Jesus, his way of sort of, Catching us afresh with the Gospel is to tell us these parables, right? Is to give us these stories, these vignettes, these images, these word pictures about how the Gospel explodes the way Einstein stalled with physics about all these wonders of God's kingdom, about God coming through Jesus, through His incarnation, through His teaching, through His miracles, especially through His death and resurrection and then His ascension, and pouring out His Spirit into the world, that Jesus is making everything new. The Gospel is about the Kingdom of God coming. About God beginning through Jesus, and His Spirit poured out into the world, and in His people, in His church, scattered throughout the world, really beginning to make everything new. Spiritually, relationally, physically, emotionally, socially, In any kind of structure, Jesus is working to make it all new. You know, the Eskimos, right, have 15 different words for snow. We down here in the South, you have one word for snow, right? Snow, okay? 15 different words because they see so much of it and they recognize there's so much to see, so much nuance, so much understanding, so much wonder. Um, That's really what the parables are like. Jesus' different words... For the gospel of the kingdom to catch us, to surprise us, to open our eyes to the broadness of the kingdom and how it comes, how it works. I'm I'm a classical music person. I I love the music here today. I love, you know, some country. I love some pop. I love some old 70s rock. But I really like classical music. Like, I love it. And my favorite artist is Bach, J.S. Bach. And my favorite set of Bach works is the Goldberg variations. Okay, so Goldberg was this guy who was a patron of Bach and he couldn't sleep at night. And so he said, will you write me something to help me sleep at night? And, uh, and Bach would play these things on the harpsichord for him and they are 30 variations on the same theme. They are amazing, the differences and the nuances and the textures, but it's one theme running all the way through. That's the way the parables are. The gospel of the kingdom the kingdom is like this, Jesus says. No, the kingdom is like this. The kingdom is like this. Well, what's he saying to us today? The kingdom is like a mustard seed that gets planted. Kingdom is like leaven that gets worked into a whole batch of dough and then begins to rise. What he's talking to us this morning, what I want you to get surprised about this morning and think about and apply it to your journey individually with Jesus, and your journey as a church, as Grace Community Church, is growth. How does the kingdom grow? What's it look like when the kingdom of God is active and growing? I want you to think about this with these two parables. They're meant to go together kind of like the lost coin and the lost sheep. Uh, They're meant to be together kind of like Pharaoh's dreams that Joseph interpreted about the cows and the corn These are meant to go together for Jesus to teach us about how His kingdom comes and grows and to give us encouragement and hope and to change us a bit, okay? Let's think about this in four ways this morning, okay? How does the kingdom come and grow? First, and it's most obvious, right? From small to large. How does the kingdom come and grow from small to large? What's the most obvious thing about these parables, right? you got a seed that's really tiny the tiniest of seeds and it grows into the largest bush in the garden when you plant it and it grows you have leaven that's so small you can hardly even see it right but you knead it into the flower and all of a sudden the flower rises and can become a loaf that can feed an entire household small to large when you think about redemptive history right that's always the way God works. He creates one man and one woman and creates humanity out of that. He, he begins to redeem fallen humanity right with one man Noah finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace that he does not deserve. He is not righteous in himself. He's a man who has a drinking problem as well. Uh, yet God gives him grace. Grace upon grace. And rescues he and his family. And starts anew and says, I'm going to build a whole new world. One man, Abraham, who he calls out of brokenness, out of all kinds of idolatries, given over to, to hopelessness of giving our lives away to gods that will not save us or help us or serve us, but demand more and more from us. I love what Jennifer had to say about that. That's where Abraham was and God calls him. And promises out of that one man, as you journey with Me, as you look to My grace, as you walk through the land, I'm going to give all of this to you and I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing to the whole world. There are going to be as many people as the stars in the heavens that are connected through you to My blessing. God does that. But not before He starts really small again, right? All the way down to one man, Jesus. Fully God, yet fully man by which He saves not only Israel to make the true Israel, but the whole world can have hope in Him. There's all those stars in the sky. There's all those grains of sand on the seashore. A multitude without number that can have life and blessing in Him. Small to large. This is the way God has always said it's going to happen. This is the way it still happens. Right, but I don't like it. Right, I love what Jennifer said. I just loved it. I want to go to therapy a couple times. and I want to be better. I want it to be over. You know, we just want we want to upsize things, right? You know, see, I've got this new job right now. I travel and I go and preach to people and I help people and I help new churches. I'm not planting or pastoring a local church right now. I've been doing this now for about seven, eight months, and so. We had, my wife and I, this great system. We've been married for 30 years, and it's been a very workable system. She is awesome at making healthy food, at thinking about healthy living and healthy lifestyles. And so when I'm at home, we eat that way, we live that way, it works well. The unspoken rule has always been, Paul, when you're on the road, you do what you want. <laughs> you know, eat what you want, do what you want, you know, and that's always worked pretty well. The problem is, I live on the road now, right? Right? Everywhere I'm I'm gone and I'm traveling all the time, it's not working nearly as well. Because when I go on the road, what I want to do is I want to go to the worst place possible to eat for me. And I want to upsize it. (laughs) Went to Chick-fil-A yesterday. Upsize it. The girl says, she just literally looked up from the register and looked at me. You want to upsize your drink and your fries? Yes. Upsize it all. Right? That's what we want to do with God though, right? Just upsize me. Give me it all now. Don't just forgive me, Lord. Change me completely now. Lord, don't help us to sort of make a new beginning here as a church four years ago and think about our mission anew and who we are and rename ourselves as people living alone by grace. What a great name. What a beautiful new place you have here. But we want it all to just pop up now. Not the way God typically works. Are you willing to make small new beginnings with Jesus today and be okay with that? To listen to Jennifer's story and say, okay, I can be forgiven too for the things that are grabbing my heart that are keeping me away from God. I can believe that I'm forgiven. I cannot live in shame I can begin to believe that and get help with that. Can you do that? Can, can, you, can you just say, Lord, I'm willing to just start praying a few minutes a day for lost people around me. Just to, to learn how to be their friends, to get to know them, to connect with them. I, Lord, I, could I just start, could you just start helping, maybe, maybe it is through pastoral counseling as friends around me, just to start putting aside my anger or, or just to start to begin to talk about my anger with people who love me and help me begin to figure out what's underneath my anger and driving my anger? Are you willing to make small beginnings because the kingdom works that way? And when you don't remember that, you miss the blessings of the gospel, of the kingdom. It's small to large almost always across redemptive history and in your lives now. Small to large. Secondly, but just before we leave that point, know this. In the small things, right, there's an amazing potency there. I like what Tim Keller says. Jennifer quoted him. Got to quote him. Can't have his PCA sermon, right, without quoting Tim Keller. All right? So, (laughs) So Tim Keller says, you know what? He said, the gospel of the kingdom is like an acorn. It's so small. But inside that acorn is the potency to wood an entire planet. The potential for massive growth. When we make a small new beginning with Jesus, what we're realizing is we really are part of a massive potency of which his gospel is going to fill our entire lives one day upon his return in this whole universe one day upon his return in ways that are beyond what we can ask or think. There's, there's a massive potency in just the smallest beginnings with Jesus. Just one more story on that point and then we'll move on. I, I love Oz Guinness. He's a great Christian writer, thinker, philosopher. Um, just a really important 20th century kind of Christian person and um and and he tells this story about his grandmother. She got pregnant when she was nineteen years old and uh, and she was married, and her husband died and uh, and she wanted to kill herself because she had nowhere to go, she didn't want to bring a baby into the world in poverty, and so she walks down to the edge of the city in which she lives, and there was a riverside down there. And it was a sort of a more rural spot on the edge of the city. And she sat there on the edge of the river to get courage enough up to drown herself. This is in the late 1800s. But while she's sitting there and trying to get courage up enough to drown herself and her baby, she looks across the river and there's a farmer just over there by himself with one horse and one single plow. That he's all by himself doing his plow work. And she just notices... The rows are just amazing. They're just perfect. They're just beautiful. And then while he's doing it, he's whistling. And he's whistling a tune that she recognized from church. And she just saw that little man doing his little ordinary work to the glory of God and not knowing that anybody was even watching And there was a potency in that to save her life and the life of her child and to allow Os Guinness to even come into being. You just don't know what the small beginnings of the gospel, what Jesus can do with them. Are you willing for the kingdom to come from small to large? Okay, number one. Number two, are you willing for the kingdom to come across time? What about these images, right? You put the seed in the ground. It takes time for it to grow. You work the leaven into the dough. It takes time for it to rise. It's not magic. It doesn't just pop up immediately. My wife and I don't have green thumbs. We have brown thumbs. Okay, anything that we try to grow dies. Um, We are going to reseed our yard this year (laughs) for about the fifth time in 13 years. It's very brown again right now. I just talked to her the other day. I said, we're doing this again this year. She said, yes, Paul, we're doing this again. Okay. Part of the problem with that is when we put the seed in, I immediately want to look under the straw and see, is it growing yet? (laughs) Are there sprouts yet? Like, I want it right then. How stupid. How stupid for us to think that the gospel of Jesus' kingdom that takes time to get saturated into lives it takes time to get saturated into communities of churches in fresh ways and moving from churches out into broader communities That's just going to all happen overnight you know you drive nathan said houston levy is called church road i I didn't know how much he really meant that right you know you just drive down there from colliever while i'm staying and just everywhere right and and they're big giant churches right and you just think well Why can't ours just be just like that now? It takes time. And you don't know where you are in the growth cycle. And you don't know how your church fits into the overall growth cycle of Jesus' kingdom. And you don't know what His plans are for this church in terms of growth and effectiveness across time he's the one who grows things right we're the seed that gets planted he brings the growth we're the leaven that gets worked in he's the woman putting it in there and watching it grow you have to trust him across time and through time love what jennifer said too right because the growth is not always just steady and and it has ups and downs, right? And sometimes it looks like maybe it's gone. And, or you just never know where God is maybe doing something. She talked about in a massive period of brokenness, right? Massive new growth began to occur. I remember a place in my life, I, I was more broken than, than about any time I've ever been. I, we went on a little summer trip. We were living in Austin. My children were very young. I have four children. Three daughters and a son. Beautiful redheaded wife, four beautiful redheaded children. Um, aside, my wife and I met in, in, in Kansas City in 1983. We went to a Christian conference together. We sat down for an hour. We went to Wendy's together, the redheaded restaurant. Um, I was redheaded then, believe it or not. I used to grow my beard out and so said, prove to people. Now it's white too. But I was redheaded. She was redheaded. We stood in line at Wendy's. And she said, You know, Paul. If we got married we'd have all red-headed kids. We'd been together 1 hour. I said, "Yes, that sounds good." And we did and we do. <laughs> but when we were on vacation living in Austin and and came home to my beautiful red-headed kids and and I said, "How did it go, guys? Said, Dad, it was great. It was wonderful. We finished up school. School is out now. It's just great." but I had given these, these little projects to do. So stupid, they should have just been able to finish school out and relax, but I gave them each these little projects. They said, well, Daddy, we didn't do our little projects. We had to just finish school and get done and start summer. I said, well, and I had my best preacher voice. I can still see myself standing there in the kitchen in Austin. Well, children, next time I want you to be better stewards of your time. That's exactly what I said. How dumb is that? That's what I said. That's what I said. So I can—I literally one of these times where God speaks through His Spirit so much it's like He's talking to you. I walked down the hallway after that towards our bedroom, and the Holy Spirit functionally said to me, "Hey, Paul, what kind of steward have you been?" And that just began me an entire summer of just thinking and pondering what kind of steward I had been. And God just sort of drove me to two remembrances. One was a remembrance that um, early in my time in Austin, I had had the privilege to meet then-Governor George Bush, who becomes President George Bush. And we spent an hour and a half together in his office. And he invited me to be in a sense, a pastoral person in his life. He gave me his favorite book to read on Sam Houston. Um, and I said, I want you to read this book and come back and talk to me. And I read the book, and I never called him back. I, was, I was just had some kind of reverse snobbery thing going on. I don't know to this day why I didn't do that, but I didn't do that. And, you know, you couldn't fix that, Right. He was already heading toward running for president and then becomes president. and was just gone. The best thing I could have done, potentially, for the world to be George Bush's friend, talk to him about Jesus, I just didn't even swing at the pitch. It's funny now. It wasn't funny. It really wasn't. And then the other thing was I was given an opportunity to... Um, to work in in a position with our denomination that I really wanted to work with. Um, And everybody on the committee wanted me to do this job. and, uh, And I just knew that I couldn't because I had done some things publicly to speak against the former person in that position because I had coveted his job. And I had wanted his job badly and I'd spoke ill of him for so long publicly that I knew that I just could not I knew that Jesus forgave me for that, but I couldn't step into that job. It just wasn't right. So that's what kind of steward I felt like I had been with my life. So we went on another trip at the end of the summer, and I was as broken as I've ever been. And uh, my dad was still alive then, and he and I were driving to go see my uncle who was dying a couple of hours up the way from the beach. And I told my dad that whole story of what my summer had been like. And my dad just looked over at me and said, Son, well, isn't that what Jesus died for? The stuff we really can't fix. And I just burst into tears so much, I had to like pull over and let him drive. Like, uh, yeah. And I caught the gospel in my late 30s in a way I never had before in that brokenness that I would have thought, there's no way growth is happening here right now. And it was the most important season of growth in my whole life. You don't know where you are in the cycle. Be open to God bringing growth across time. Small to large, across time. Thirdly, how does growth occur? From hidden to revealed, right? Hidden to reveal the seeds, got to get buried down in the ground for it to become this plant that fills the garden. It, the leaven's got to get worked into the dough and hidden in the dough and sort of lost in the dough, right? To make the dough rise. Hidden to revealed. I always wanted to be a preacher even when I was a little boy. My best friend's father was a preacher and my grandfather was a preacher I always liked the idea of standing up there and talking to people, even before I was a Christian. But my idea about being a preacher, right, was to be famous. Be special, have everybody want to listen to you. Not so much, right? To be a pastor, to be a Christian in any sphere is just to say, Lord, where do you want me to lose my life so I can really find it? Where do you want me to give my life away so that the world around me is blessed? Where do you want the cross to be not just the ground of my salvation, but the pattern of my life? Where do you want me to die? To follow you in the paths of death sacrificially so that resurrection comes to the world. Hidden to revealed, There's really no other way around that. That's what Jesus sort of says to the disciples, right? If you want to find real life, you have to lose it. If you want to follow me, you have to carry your cross and deny yourself and carry this beam of cursed self-sacrifice that is going to be radically painful so that life comes to the world around you. Where does Jesus want you to begin to do that? I'd love for you to ponder that. I'd love for you to talk about that in your families, to talk about that in your community groups, to to interact with that, with your church leaders. Where does God want me to just have my life hidden? Buried in the ground, Jesus says. Jesus says right before He enters His passion, right? Right? The seed has to get buried in the ground for the fruit and the harvest to come. Where does God want to bury me? And then secondly, Holy Spirit, prepare me for that and make me find your special hidden blessings in that. Where does God want to hide this church? Lord knows Houston Levy doesn't need a more impressive edifice out here. We know that, right? We know that. Probably doesn't need another mega church. Where does he want to hide Grace Community Church? In the ground of Memphis. In the dough of the people around you. In Collierville Cordova. So that real rising occurs. Those are the questions to ask, to pray over, to ponder. Small to large, across time, hidden to revealed, and and then lastly, this is my favorite part, involving all kinds of people. Involving all kinds of people. Here's where the parables diverge a little bit. You know, kind of like two roads running together and then they, they split off. Jesus obviously like he does in so many places, has other Scripture in view when he's telling these stories. I think when he's talking about the mustard bush, he has this text in view, Ezekiel 17. Beginning in verse 22, God says to Ezekiel, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one And I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it may dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree, and I make the high the low tree, dry up the green tree, and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. So Jesus picks up on this, right, and says that mustard bush is big enough and provides shade enough so it can give space for all kinds of birds to perch in its branches, and to dwell under its shade. Picking up this imagery for Ezekiel. The church of Jesus. The church of the kingdom. The place that is living alone by the Gospel and sharing the love and the welcome and the forgiveness of the Gospel is to be every outpost of it like a tree that just allows all kinds of people to come and perch in the branches and rest in its shade. I look around. I'm sure every one of your stories is different. But you all look kind of the same. How does God want this church to become a place that has more and more different kinds of people having shade here? How does God want to open you up for welcome and blessing to more and more different kinds of people? terms of race and stage of life, socioeconomic space that you're in. How does God want to use you in that way? I know that He does. It'll be fun to see how He shows you and guides you and leads you. But I said the parables diverged here. What about the leaven? Here's your Bible quiz for today before you go home. Can you think of anywhere in the Bible that leaven is used positively, besides right here? I can't. I've studied this passage a lot. I've preached this sermon more than once. I can't find anywhere in the Bible leaven is a positive thing. It's always about what needs to be swept out, right, so you're ready for Passover. You need to guard yourselves against the leaven, the false teaching of the Pharisees. Leaven was always something in Israel you were trying to get rid of. Leaven was the undesirable. We are the undesirable. We are the leaven. We're not ready to really catch the Gospel and have it bring growth to us and through us if we don't always remember We don't have to pretend that we're desirable. We don't have to make over that. We really are undesirable in ourselves. For countless reasons. But God wants to use us instead of sweeping us out. God wants to knead us in to the fabric. And touch us with His Gospel and cause us to lose our lives so that grace comes to, to the world around us, to those just beside us that we touch and cause the life of Jesus to, to break in? Are you willing to be leaven? Are you willing to say, I really am undesirable in myself, but I know Jesus loves me, He gave His life for me, and He wants to sprinkle me in and need me in and have me lose myself. That's what this parable is saying to you. Are you willing to accept it? You know, parables were always there. We'll just close with this. Right to surprise people. Jesus says they're there to catch you off guard. To shock you, as it were. Are you willing to let the gospel break out in these new ways? Are you willing to live more like Einstein instead of like Kelvin? Are you willing to let the kingdom come from small to large and across time and let Jesus be in charge of the timing? Are you willing to have your lives hidden? Are you willing even to be known that you are undesirable in yourself, but Jesus loves you and has redeemed you and calls you by name and wants to need you into the life of the world? If you are, then you're ready for the growth of the kingdom. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You. We thank You for this Word today. And we pray that You would take it and use it and press it into us. We pray even that this time together in worship would be like a little seed planted in the ground that would grow up into much bigger things. Please, Lord, surprise us today afresh with the gospel of your kingdom, the way it comes, the way it grows. Touch us with this gospel, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.